2 Timothy chapter 3. Going to be in verses 14 through 17 today. I read a story this last week in preparation for this about a couple friends. One friend was a book lover. Maybe you have friends like this. One friend was a book lover and one wasn't. But the one that wasn't lived in a generational family home. His family had owned this for generations, this home. And he went through and he was cleaning some things out and he found an old book. It actually was an old Bible. And um, he couldn't read it. It was in a different language. And so um, he donated it to a a local store or or Goodwill or something. And when the book-loving friend inquired about this Bible that he had gotten rid of, um, he asked him some specs or details on it. He goes, oh, I don't really know. It was, it was printed by Guten something. And the, the friend who loves books says, not Gutenberg. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's what it was. And the friend um, said, oh, you're going to just kick yourself. Recently, a Bible, which was one of the first ever printed on the Gutenberg Press, was sold um, on an online auction for nearly $2 million dollars. And the friend who had given the book away didn't seem too perturbed because he ended up going uh, and saying, well, this one wouldn't have fetched even a few dollars because um, some person by the name of Martin Luther wrote all over it in German, scribbled all over the pages. And of course, that one's worth tens of millions of dollars. And so anyhow... um, I bring that story up because today we're talking about the Bible, and every week we, we speak from the Bible, and we, we look and we submit ourselves to what the Word of God has to stay for us as it was, as it was dic- dictated by the Lord to an original author for different audiences. In this particular case, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, this letter was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to his protege Timothy, who was a young pastor, pastoring in the church in Ephesus. 2 Timothy was written shortly, about five years after 1 Timothy, and so there's some themes that carry throughout both, but this is the last letter that we have written by the Apostle Paul, and it has some very important instruction for us, and we're actually nearing, we only have uh, two more sermons in this sermon series in 2 Timothy, and so being that this is the, the last bit of recorded writing that we have from the Apostle Paul, um, would put maybe an extra emphasis on our attention to it as we look at it. Because today we're just, we're simply talking about the Bible. Last week we we started, um, this is a two-part series, this is part two if you're taking notes. Um, What does it take to have a lasting impact? And in verse 10, Paul started to tell Timothy, if you want to have a lasting impact, um, acquire a godly mentor. That that was the principle that we took from it. Because Paul was a, a godly mentor to Timothy, and we can see the benefit that that has played in Paul's life or in Timothy's life, and then also in the life of the people in his church. So to acquire a godly mentor, and I challenged us, if you don't have someone in your life that would be a, a godly mentor, someone that can that encourage you, speak into your life, that you would go out this last week, and you'd be intentional about pursuing that. And uh, I heard of a few that took that seriously, and I hope that all of us would. Secondly, after acquiring a godly mentor, we can see that Paul would say, now be a godly mentor. You see, we, we need godly mentors in our lives in order to have a lasting impact 
in the lives of other people as well as in God's kingdom, but we also have to become and to be a godly mentor for somebody else because following Christ does not mean you get the option of pouring your life into somebody else. If you follow Christ, you take his call to go and to make disciples very seriously. You don't leave that to other people. Um, You take that seriously and personally. And so not only do you acquire a godly mentor, but you be a godly mentor. And we looked at that. And then thirdly, last week, we, we, we noticed that in pursuing godly mentors, in pursuing being a godly mentor, and in living this life for Christ, we need to expect as well as to endure great persecution. Persecution will always be there because as a follower of Jesus, we put a target on our backs. And so we need to expect that and endure that. Now as we come to verses 14 through 17, we see that in order to have a lasting impact, one must be anchored in the Bible. If you want to have an impact that lasts, you must be anchored in the scriptures. And Paul points out, and we're going to look at three reasons why being anchored in the Bible is crucial, why it's imperative to our our life and our faith in the Lord Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said that a Bible that is falling apart, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So let's look at the text of our scripture in verses 14 through 17. You can follow as I read along here. But as for you, continue in, in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know these from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful, it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." If you're taking notes, firstly, what we see, that to have a lasting impact, anchor yourself in the truth of the Bible. Anchor yourself in the truth of the Bible. But as for you, it says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation and through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture is true. Paul's telling Timothy here, live your life according to the truths which are found within the scriptures which you've been taught from your mother and from your grandmother, from your earliest days, Timothy. Don't deviate away from what you've been taught from the beginning because what you've been taught from the beginning is true because it's come from the scriptures. It hasn't come from the culture. I'm so grateful myself for just godly upbringing, godly parents who from an early age exposed me to the word of God, taught me the word of God through the different books, through taking me to Sunday school, um, through enrolling me in VBS. It was so fun just this last week during the 4th of July pray to see, to see um, our VBS team and a lot of our youth um, following the bus, promoting our VBS program that's coming out. I listened to a podcast where the pastor's wife um, came to know Jesus, and she lived in a very abusive home, but she came to know 
Jesus because every summer she went to her grandma's house and grandma always took her to VBS and she learned the word of God in VBS and it forever changed her life. And I'm thankful for that. But even for myself, as I got a little bit older and, you know, maybe like some of you, not all of you, but you get into your, your, your um, certain years where you can be rebellious, um, I, I didn't want to just take what my parents had taught me at face value, which, which was you know, maybe part of the developmental process, not one I would exhort our youth today to do. But I remember thinking, you know, I want to know if this Bible that I am being taught is the real thing. And I've heard that there's all these contradictions in it. And so um, I got in and actually with my best friend and we did a in-depth study on all of the contradictions of the Bible. And what we ended up finding out in that study is that the things that were contradictory were not contradictory. Um, and there weren't nearly as many as that we were been told there were, and that all of them, when taken in light of the context of Scripture as a whole, were not contradictory at all, but actually were the opposite. They were affirming of one another uh, when you looked at that. And, and I also looked at the historical evidence that came from the Scriptures and saw that, boy, history relies greatly on the works of Scripture to helps help communicate its message as well. There's eyewitnesses accounts. There's also extra biblical accounts. And then the archaeological evidence of scripture. There is, there is no greater archaeological evidence for any literature known to man other than the archaeological evidence that's found for the Bible and from the Bible for culture out there. Um, and, and so with this, this is great encouragement to me as a young man. And it actually helps set the course for for my, the rest of my life, to have this confidence in the word of God. Timothy here, he'd been taught these scriptures and he was able to make wise choices unto salvation. And he learned early on that the good news that was, came from God through the scriptures, and this is the message of Christ Jesus. That's the message, the central message of, of our Bibles, is that we can be saved. No other book communicates this message, that you can be saved from your sin. That's the good news. It's the gospel, and it's found in Christ and Christ alone. He loves us. He died for us. He lived for us. He took God's judgment upon himself for us, and he rose again from the dead for us, proving alone that he has the power to forgive us of our sins. That's the message of the scriptures. That's the message of the scriptures. Now, a little boy opened up a family Bible he was fascinated as he fingered through these really old pages of the Bible. It wasn't Martin Luther's Bible, by the way. He's flipping through these pages, and, and uh, suddenly something fell out. It was this big old leaf that had been pressed between the pages of the, the Bible. And he's so excited. He yells to my, his mom, Mom, you got to see what I found. And so mom comes up and says, what do you find, son? And he says, look at this. I opened this up, and out fell Adam's underwear. So... <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> to have a lasting impact, the Word of God, the Word of God be anchored in it, and be anchored not just in it, but anchored in the truth of it. Secondly, to have a lasting impact, be anchored in the trustworthiness of the Bible. Be, be anchored in the trustworthiness of it. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all Scripture is God-breathed, all of it. Paul goes on to say here, the Bible, it's not only true, but it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy, and that's what we can trust, because the scriptures communicate it. And why is it so important that it's trustworthy? Because it, it's, 
comes from the mouth of God itself. It's breathed out by God, which means that God is the source. He is the author. God is the one that came up with the content, no one else. It's not like um, a book written by or a play written by Shakespeare or your favorite author, nonfiction or fiction. It's not like that at all. It's not written by a human source. It comes from the breath of God. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but man speak from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So how did God bring the scriptures to us? It happened in many different, many different ways. He dictated it through his word directly to the human writers. In other instances, it, it worked through the personalities that guided the individual eyewitnesses and God guarded their hearts and their minds so that they could bring forth his inerrant, inspired word of God. And the bottom line is that we know that scripture is divinely inspired because it's, it's absolutely trustworthy. It's been proven throughout the years. And it's interesting to me that, that through culture here, the book that we study every single week is something that has been under attack for thousands of years, and yet it still stands. It's not the attack is going away, but it still stands and it doesn't stand by a fluke. It stands because it's the breath of God out to us. It's our firm foundation, and we can trust what it says, which is of great hope. Uh, my, my sweet nine-year-old daughter, here's a picture of her. That's Lauren. Um, when she was 20 months old, she was 20 months old. We were at our home. It was a nice spring day, and I had the couch. Um, our couch was backed up to the wall. There was a window kind of behind it. And um, mom and the big kids were doing schoolwork at the table over here, and I had this little, you know, whippersnapper noodling around, and she's all over the place as a 20-year-old would, 20-month-old would be, and uh, 20-year-olds too, I suppose, uh, 20-month, 20-month-old should be, and, then, and um, I, as a dad, got distracted, and um, um, I noticed that she wasn't right on my lap anymore, and she kind of crawled up over my shoulder, and she had found the window that is there, except unfortunately the window was open, it was just the screen, and so she started to crawl up the screen. And um, something caught my attention a split second too late. And as I turned around and looked, I just instinctively went like this. And all I saw were her feet disappear out the window. And I remember the horrible scream that came from the gut of my gut. And I look and I see my motionless daughter's body on a rubble of broken cement um, down a story and a half below. And that's why I put the picture up there, because you know the outcome of that story. But she, she was laying there motionless, ended up um, fracturing her skull, by far one of the most traumatic experiences of our parenting. Um, but I, I bring that vivid story up, because my daughter did that, and she turned out okay. Um, but what she had trusted in at that moment, she had trusted to hold her weight that screen. But what she trusted in, she trusted everything upon, proved out to be nothing, She'd put all of her trust in something that really proved to be nothing at all. And today, so many people, so many people base their lives on an illusion. They base their lives on, on a worldview or, that is created by public opinion. They, they, they base their worldview on ideas and items that are philosophical, that sound good for the moment, sound good for the time, but they have not lasted, endured since the beginning of creation. 
They, in essence, are, are leaning up against a screen. But unlike my, my very uh, gumby, nimble, 20-month-old daughter, when for so many people, when they put their trust in other things and when they fall, they don't get up so easily. And it, it fractures them for a long time because they've not learned to put their trust in the trustworthiness of the Lord as he's revealed himself through the Scripture. The Bible is truth. It's trustworthy. But not just that. We have to remember to have a lasting impact anchor yourself in the transforming power. Anchor yourself in the transforming power of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says in this, it's useful and profitable, or profitable depending on your translation, useful, profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible is not only true and trustworthy, but it's transforming in its usefulness. It gives answers to the questions in life that every single one of us ask. It is helpful, it is relevant, and it brings joy. If you could flip in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 19, not 119, which is the famous Old Testament passage on the scripture, but turn to Psalms chapter 19, correction 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. 11. If you don't have a Bible, and I want you, if you do, to make sure to use your Bible on your lap or in your device, but if you don't, we have, we have, or I have a, um, there it is, Psalm 16, 11. I want to read this to you. It says this, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. I'd just like to point out two quick observations about this. Um, first, God has shown us the path of life, and he's shown it to us through his revealed word to us. And secondly, look at the results of that. Look at the results of the path of life being revealed to us through God's word, the results come and they are simply put as joy or joy in his presence. I want to do something I don't normally do. I want you just to take a moment. As you're sitting there, you have your Bible open in your lap. I'd like you just to take a few moments and do two things. I'd like you just to read over this verse, to, to maybe meditate on the verse. Let it roll over in your, your heart, your head. Um, and then, if you, I hope you have a, a pen or a pencil, or if you don't, you have maybe a notepad on your phone. I'd like you just to write down, at this moment in your life, anything in your life in which would be a point of anxiety, or anything in your life which would be a point of struggle or trouble. just want to give you that moment um, and do this just a little bit of homework. I'm going to let it be still for a few minutes. I'll bring it back in just a moment. Whatever it is that you wrote down, or if you didn't write it down, whatever it is that you are thinking, it would not be trivial to say that anything in which you could be troubled with, anything that could be bringing anxiety within your life, can be addressed more than sufficiently by the word of God in which you have in your hand or in your laps. 
This is what this passage is speaking to. It's speaking to every area of our life. We're going to look at the four specific areas he points out, but I just want to encourage you, for those of you who might have the um, inner lawyer going on inside your head thinking, yeah, but it doesn't just solve the problem the way that it needs to be solved or the way that I'd like it to be solved. Well, that's something you're going to have to deal with between you and the Lord, but this is the, the living word of God, and the promise therein is that within this we are shown the pathway of life, and within that, when we seek out and we walk on that pathway, we experience joy. And so what a great trigger it is for us when we do not have joy in our lives to be able to go to the, the revealed word of God written in the pages of our Bibles to find the, the uh, direction of that path, to let it be a light unto that path. Now, as we look at the rest of this verse here, it's broken down, but I, for means of illustration, I was recently on a, um, just last month, a 1,600-mile motorcycle trip with my dad and my brothers, and we dropped down through Oregon into Nevada and then up around the eastern side of Oregon and Washington back home. It's a great trip, great time with my dad and brothers. And we are on kind of uh, adventure-style bikes, and our really goal was to stay off of the beaten path. We didn't want to be around people and traffic and congestion, and so we really um, have to rely on that process upon our GPSs to get from place to place because we're often on gravel forest service roads that, um, that can get you a little bit lost. And so um, we really relied on our GPSs, and um, Paul here says that the Bible is useful in four different ways here in verse 16, and it's similar to a, a GPS, so bear with me as I kind of make that example. But first off, he says that the Bible is useful for teaching. He says it's useful for teaching. Through it, we learn truth. Like, like a GPS, it shows us the destination. It shows us the destination, and not just that, but it shows us what it'll take to get to the destination. When it comes to godly living, when it comes to godly service, when it comes to having a, a lasting godly impact in others' lives as well as in the kingdom of God, we are able to grow in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord based upon the God-breathed scriptures which have been provided to us, the comprehensive and complete divine truth as it's laid out in, in the word of God. So the Bible is useful. It is profitable for instructing us, for teaching us. Um, secondly... The Bible is useful for reproof or rebuking. Reproof or rebuking, which basically mean that, that it will direct us and tell us where we have gone wrong, where we've deviated from the correct path. On my trip, when I would go off course, that, that annoying computerized voice would speak into my Bluetooth and my helmet and tell me I was going the wrong direction. And sometimes I was intending to go the wrong direction, and sometimes I wasn't. But the scriptures teach us and tell us we're going the wrong direction. In order to, to illustrate this, I want to look at Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Starting in verse 12, it says this, For the word of God is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul, the spirit, the joints, the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, this verse is an incredibly vivid verse, um, speaking here really of the word of God as a weapon. 
The word of God is a a weapon that pierces and it plunges into the heart of us, judging thoughts, intentions, motivations. And for any one of us who have walked the Christian life for any point in time, you know what it looks like, what it feels like, and the experience of being cut up by the word of God, where the Bible goes in and does its work. You might come to church might come to a service thinking everything's okay, but then the word of God is preached and you walk away and you feel cut up. You might come feeling pretty good about yourself, but you might leave feeling terrible about yourself and this very humanistic culture we live in, that's not a very positive way to um, have church growth, but that might be the truth of it. We come away thinking uh, everything is in order, or we come thinking everything is in order, but we leave thinking and realizing, you know what, there's things that aren't in order. I might be able to hide them with a smile from time to time, but they're not in order. And I find myself as a, as a pastor, um, I often hear from people um, when I either visit them or make a phone call or I bump into someone at a grocery store line, whether they're from church or whether they're just from the community, and they often, um, when I'm following up to say, you know, missed you, where have you been? I'll, you know, you'll hear things like, well, I've been busy, or um, I didn't like the preaching, which they don't often say to me to my face, but I'll get a note. Um, th- they don't like the music, or they may not like programs, or, or um, whatever. I'm just really using reservation to pick on some faces in here, but I won't. Um, but they might come up with these different, these different reasons why they're not at church. And, and maybe there's some bit of truth to some of those things. And frankly, maybe there's some validation that there's some things that could be improved on in our church or in other churches. There's, there's no real perfect churches out there. But I, I believe kind of at the core of my being that, that more often when people stop attending church and when they stop fellowshipping with other believers, it's not so much the excuses that they'll verbalize, but more often it's because they don't like how the word of God cuts. They don't like how the word of God shapes them. In chapter three of of the gospel of John, John writes that people will not come, they will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. It's the same word that, that Paul uses here, rebuked. They don't come into the light for the fear that their, their deeds will be rebuked or exposed. And I just want to challenge us that it's a good indicator in our own lives if we're feeling this the sense to pull back from the assembling of the Lord's people, from coming to service. We're feeling pulling back from engaging in growth group or in the Bible studies that we're in. Whatever the excuse that we might be telling ourselves is why we're doing that may actually be more indicator of the fact that we've got some hidden harboring sin in our life that we don't want to be cut up by the word of God and cut up by the people in which love us in such a way. Now it goes back to verse 13. 13 is, is continuing to penetrate here. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Now God takes his word and he cuts deep, is what this is saying. His word cuts deep, it lays us open. It is as if you are flayed right before God's eyes. And this is a really interesting military term pulled from that day. And see, what was taking place is um, when a criminal was caught, the military would pull this criminal or this prisoner of war, they would pull them out and they would take a dagger and they would put the dagger right under the chin of the criminal. So that the criminal, when he was taken out in front of the world, they would see his face and he would see and feel the humiliation of the people from the world around them. 
And if he tried to, like we'll see on TV with criminals that are caught, they'll cover their heads, they'll cover their, their faces with their, with their hands. If, if the, the criminal back in these days tried to do that, then that sharp dagger, they would run themselves through with the dagger because their deeds were to be exposed by, um, by their actions. And this is the picture in a very real sense of what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that the word of God, it, it, it jams its piercing point right up and it forces us to be revealed and forces us to be exposed. That's the reality that, that God is and he sees. The, through his word, he sees us as we are. He, he opens us up and sees us as we are before him. We can't hide a thing from him because his word does what it does. His word is a reprover to us. It's a rebuker. It's a convictor of sin. It analyzes us. It reveals emotions, attitudes, thoughts, experiences. You might be sitting there and you might, as you experience, you read the word of God. And as you read the word of God, you can read about love. I read Luke or Corinthians 13 and read about love. And I just think, I just don't love. Or I can read about hatred, or I can read about bitterness, and, and I just feel that piercing, that piercingness of what's lust, greed, pride, and we can just read those things and say, oh God, that's me. That is me. That's what the Word of God does for us. And if you struggle to read the Word of God, it, it could be, it could be that it's because you, you're not listening to its rebuke in your life. You're thinking, yeah, I tried to read the Bible, but I just, you know, I just don't remember things or I've got this long list. Well, maybe it's because there's something that the Lord is trying to point out that we're just not listening to. I think that's oftentimes the case in my own life if I find myself dry. And, and let me just kind of close this one and move on to the third point here. Um, we have to thank God for the reproving work of his word. We need to thank him for the rebuke that comes from his word. As much as we thank him, because most of us, let's be honest, when we approach the Bible in our, in our, in our lives, we're looking for some gems of truth. We're looking for some new information that can, in maybe some senses, just tick, tickle our intellect and make us feel more, more wise, which certainly there's nothing wrong with that. But do we balance that with the, 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 the negative ministry of the word cutting us up? We need to thank the Lord for the rebuke of his word because it's truly a concept or a, a truth for us. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we want to have exposed what needs to be exposed so that we become more and more like Christ. Sin, in a sense, becomes a bittersweet experience as we repent of it because of that very reason. And that leads to the third thing here. The Bible is, is useful for teaching. It's also the negative ministry of useful for reproof or rebuke, but it's also useful for correction. And you might say, well, what's the, kind of what's the difference? What's the difference between correction and rebuking? Well, there is a great difference. Um, a good GPS doesn't just tell you that you've made the wrong turn. Um, they tell you how to get back on track. They tell you how to go in the correct direction. Not just, the, not just you're bad, you, you've messed up, um, and now you just are stuck. No, this is the right way to get yourself back on track. So the negative ministry of the word is cutting you up, but the positive ministry of the word is putting us back together. See, the negative ministry of the word cuts us up, but when it cuts us up, it cuts out the cancer. It cuts out the filth. It cuts out the dead flesh. It cuts out the disease. And when, when it corrects us, it puts us back together, but it doesn't put us back together 
in such a way that is leaving us in the same position we were before it cut us up. It actually is healing us. And, and the things that we may see as scars actually are, in essence, a, a, an Ebenezer or a, a sign or a symbol of how God has worked and how the cutting of his word in our lives has grown us to be more and more like his son, Jesus. So this is a, this is a great gift. As we, as we come to the word, as it rebukes us, we also get that corrective nature, that corrective aspect of repentance because of it. And then fourthly here, fourthly, the Bible, it's useful for, it's useful for um, training in righteousness. It tells us how to avoid things that would hurt us. It tells us how to avoid those things like a good GPS. One thing that I learned on this last trip that I didn't realize was an option, which became a favorite option of mine, is that when you use the GPS on Google Maps, it alerts you if there's a speed trap ahead. And um, sometimes, sometimes when I'm distracted, not intentionally of course, and I'm um, possibly having a speed infraction um, with my riding, if I get alerted to the danger ahead, it's kind of like a, it jars me, oh okay, you need to, you need to slow down, oh, okay, you're driving too fast. And um, this, is, this is what the Bible is used for, useful for. It's useful for letting us know the things that will slow our progress. It's useful for letting us know the, the dangers that might lie ahead. Um, it tells us if there's problems, and um, it also gives us the fastest and easiest way um, or the most productive way to get where God is calling us to get. Um, that's the guiding, transforming power of the Word of God in our lives. And the result there is in verse 17. The result, the result is so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. The man of God may be complete for every good work. Now, I just want to say two points here. Oftentimes when Scripture speaks in male terms, oftentimes it means in general in humanity. And I think there's a principle to that here as well, certainly, that the Word of God does um, equip completely um, both men and women. But we also don't want to get away from this particular context in which Paul is talking to Timothy, a man who is in a specific role as, as pastor here. But regardless, this applies, I think, not I think, I know to, to all of us, that as we, we submit ourselves to the teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness aspect of God's breathed word to us, it equips all of us for, for every good work. And, and as we close this morning, this is the, the call, this is the challenge for all of us is to have a fresh and renewed commitment to letting the word of God be the central component of our lives because we live in a culture that's mostly visual. We live in a culture that's constantly bombarding us with information and it's easy to allow, allow media and those kinds of things to drive our time and, and to go there for direction and counsel, whether intentionally or, or passively. And I just want to challenge us to make a fresh commitment to just being in the Word of God on a daily basis. We believe it, yes. We know we believe it. We say that we trust it. We say that we love it. But are we in it daily? Do we, do we see it as as valuable in our lives as we do the meals in which we eat? The, the Bible, it changes and transforms. St. Augustine is a good example of this. St. Augustine, for, for most of his life, was a famous academic in the Roman culture and he was uh, very successful at public speaking. And fortunately, he just lived a really ugly ugly, sinful, self-indulgent, immoral life, a time came where he began to consider the claims of Christianity. And as he was doing this, he heard some little girl in a distance um, 
playing a game, and she was reading out uh, or a stanza of a song of the game, and it just said, pick it up and read it, pick it up and read it. So he turned to his Bible that prompted him, and he flipped open to Romans chapter 13, and his eyes were just drawn to, and I'm sure you've experienced similar things like this, but his eyes were drawn to the text in Romans 13, which said, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of sinful nature. And by that, by the reading of God's word, he surrendered his life to Christ, and he went on to become one of the greatest voices in the church and a great theologian after the Apostle Paul that we have today. The Bible changes lives in the past, it changes lives in the, in the presence, and I know that many of you uh, heard some neat testimonies of people in this, this room who um, you maybe didn't come to know Jesus through a VBS program, or you didn't come to know Jesus through someone sharing him with you, but you had questions about faith, and you opened your Bibles, and you just started to read from start to finish, and God, as verse 15 says, God saved you through his word, because it's his word that does that work, which is beautiful. And the last little thing I'll mention, because it applies to where we were at, is that one of the stories I read in preparation this week, um, we sent a missions team to the, um, to the Logos um, Hope ship down in Mexico this last summer, and there was a story about the Logos ship being in Ukraine, and they had been there for some time, and they were just about ready to leave the port. And as they're, they're going through all of the different things, and they had just taken the ropes off of the, the things. And as they were doing this, they heard this woman screaming from way back, and she came running, screaming in Russian, and screaming in Russian. And, and uh, she got close to the boat, and the boat was just starting to pull off. And, and she says, I need a Bible. I've come from hundreds of miles. Well, I hear you have Bibles in Russian. And she's saying this in Russian. And so someone screamed down to the bookstore, and they grabbed her a book in Russian. And as they brought the book back up, the boat is pulling away. Because once you start moving one of them boats, they're pretty big. They're cruise ships. You can't just stop them. And so the boat's moving away, and they throw this, this Bible to this Russian woman. And she, she grabs it and fumbles it in the air, and then it almost falls in the water and then she embraces it and she gets this and she falls to her knees weeping and kissing the book now the book isn't itself to be worshipped but this for her was the, the the only bible that she's ever had in her own language and she sat there on the dock as the boat was pulling away and just wept and kissed the book everybody's just watching this beautiful picture of of embracing the word of god but is that not the picture of what we have every day we have the Word of God, and we, most of us, have dozens and dozens of copies, and we've got hundreds of translations on our devices, um, and, and yet there's something in the, the, the natural tendency to drift in our faith that, that sanitizes the living Word of God and, and removes that, that love, that desire, and that need, and I just don't want to ever be that church. I don't want to ever be those people where we, we start to get sucked into culture's way of looking at life and, and not relying on the, the power and the authority and the inspiration of the living word of God, which is true, trustworthy, and, and um, good and profitable for transforming all of our lives. So I invite you to stand as we, as we close today. Worship team can come up. Um, let's pray.